you are listening to live. That's it. You're listening to Life, That's It. My name is Rene Dongo, and you're here, and you're tuned in because you're awesome. But I want you to do something right now. Close your eyes. Yeah, you can close. I mean, unless you're driving, but close your eyes. Por favor. Think about it. When you close your eyes, what happens? You start focusing on a ton of different things. Maybe it's the vibrations in the room the motor running and the bus that you're on or those small little thoughts that that kind of nag at you sometimes saying things like you're not good enough don't try that you'll mess up a a life that you've built sometimes those thoughts are nagging and annoying but they're there they're present and if i don't do anything about it they can turn into fears So on this episode, I want to talk about fear. What is it? Where does it hide? And when does it flourish? So ask yourself, what are you scared of? (laughs) uh, What's something that you're afraid of? People. I'm afraid of heights. I'm afraid of being left alone, being forgotten. I'm I'm more afraid of abstract things like like rejection and like... Oh, yeah. I'm afraid of bugs. I'm definitely afraid of bugs. Those are the things I absolutely hate. I just like see one coming around and I'm like, no. The inability to control my body or mind. <gasps> that is so That's scary. That's so scary. Oh my God. All right. <laughs> Not so much public speaking, but like reaction to public speaking. I blame Chucky. That's the thing that got me really afraid of anything that has horror theme into it. Yes, Chucky, the little devil thing. I don't like him. I do not. He scares me. Okay, so here we go. We have three parts on the program. The first is an interview. It's between me and another person. The second is an audio drama with like sound effects. Think like a movie for your ears. The third, lastly, is a bit of a mystery. This first part is with Ethiopia. She is a family friend, and we sat down and talked about photography, her own experiences in Dorchester, and that nagging voice inside. Yeah, I'm from Dorchester, born and raised, still living there until, you know, I get priced out, which is any minute. <laughs> that seems like, it, seems like East Boston. It's any minute. It's going to happen. Yeah, you feel it? Oh, definitely. Oh, there man. are a lot of uh, white women around jogging early in the morning. And I was like, oh, man, this is a sign. It's time to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I guess, I guess that'll play into fear. That does, for sure. How do you, how do you deal with fear? For a long time, I didn't. Like, I kind of, like, was one of those people that would avoid it and bury it and just assume that that was overcoming it. Um, And then, you know, like most things that you avoid or bury, it kind of catches up and it comes back. And, you know, you realize that you've been performing a lot of your life and instead of facing fears and um, dealing with the wounds and moving on, you just kind of like, it all comes at once. And then you have to deal with that. Ali Wong has this quote about when you turn 30, you, you realize that you're a horrible person. You just want to turn the ship around. Like, how do I, how do I turn this ship around to stop becoming a horrible person? Or at least you take an inventory of your life a little bit, at least, or at least I did. Um, and for me, I think the biggest thing that I, I realized was how, 
how little I face my own fears and how much that hasn't allowed me to to discover the potentials that I think are still within me and how much it hasn't allowed me to listen to like the, the voices of myself that are really trying to guide me. And so, so lately it's been more about accepting that that's been a, a neglect and trying to account for it in some way. And by doing things that kind of scare me and doing things that, um, that will sort of have consequences that are painful um, but knowing that those bruises kind of will heal and you kind of just have to learn from them and move on. But it's been a process and it's not always a linear growth process. It's been a lot of kind of zigzagging because so much of my patterns, so much of my behaviors are like so programmed that it's hard to, it's hard to get out of auto- autopilot. It's easy to kind of just get into a survival mode and you're just sort of, you know, living your life kind of without any kind of awareness of what you're not serving for yourself. And for me, it was just sort of like, oh, I got a job, it like paid decently. And, you know, I had an apartment, I can go on vacation once a year. Those things were nice, but it wasn't, um, you know, it gets to a point where like those voices inside you kind of start to shout that you need to do something else and that you're you're wasting this time that, you know, our life is so precious and so short and so fragile and that it's, you know, it's, it's, if you have the privilege to, uh, to go after something, you should. It's tricky because like we live in this world where so much of, especially our culture, so, so self-promotional and performative and so much of what we um, engage with tends to be BS, in my opinion. I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that my photography is the one thing that I'm trying not to hack. You know, I feel like work is a lot of hackneyed BS where I'm kind of going and I'm there, but with photography, it feels like, oh, okay, this is something I actually kind of care about and I kind of don't want to BS it. And kind of dealing with that in a way that feels, that feels respectful of it has been scary you know because like well do I you know do I stand a chance am I good am I this am I that and all those questions come you kind of just have to deal with the insecurities that come from that and just kind of keep going and that's I don't know that's something I'm, I'm learning how to do and I don't think I've done very well for most of my life. Say if you were to compare a little bit of how you reacted before to now how you react now to fear, do you think you've progressed in any way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's valuable being honest to yourself. It's valuable respecting your those feelings and respecting who you are. Absolutely. I mean, I think you know before it was just sort of like there was so much performance to people's expectations of me. And there was so in so much of my life was towards that, towards that appeasement of like, oh, well, uh, if I'm getting approval then from my teachers, from my peers, from my parents, you know, from my dad, then uh, this must be what life is. This must be who I am. And at some point, um, and, and some kids have a really sensitivity to this. Like my sister was completely different. My sister always had a respectfulness about that sense of herself in a way that I didn't understand. And she was always getting in trouble and she was a bit of a rebel in that sense. But that rebelliousness, I think the more I look back at it as an adult, 
feels like it's a form of respect for herself that I didn't quite understand. And I don't know, there's something profound and beautiful and truthful about that, that, you know, if you're in that space, it's, and if you're in that space with a certain amount of guidance, I think there's, that there's only growth that can come from there, hmm. you know? Yeah. You can turn the lights on, son. I'm, I'm scared. Of <laughs> ah, why is it so dark in here? Um, oh, man. I was yeah. terrified of the dark when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. I would just sleep in the, with the lights on because I yeah, no, you can, turn, you can turn the lights on. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Ethiopia. Yeah. Um, and now we're going to get to some more craziness. Let's do it. Yeah. The music that you heard in this piece was from Poddington Bear and Black Kite. Thank you so much, Ethi, for sitting down and talking with me about fear. Um, you can check out her work at dotgirlphotos.com. Fears can grow inside of us and pound louder and louder on our thoughts and decisions. Ethiopia, while confident and super smart, still deals with trusting herself and letting go of those negative feels. All right, so here we are, part two, the audio drama. And you're thinking, audio drama, what's that? Imagine a ship of smelly old pirates lost at sea. Their captain was initially level-headed, but the months of sailing have caught up with him. He starts to set sail into an unmapped territory where time and space start to rip apart. And sea monsters come in all types of different shapes. Just a heads up that the following story contains some graphic imagery, so if you are squeamish, um, just be forewarned. Riding through the waves just like snakes in the water. Board it up! I yell. 20 feet! I spot my second in command. Rodrigo. Captain! Where should I lead the crew? I can see the fog glimmer in his eyes. It approaches. Tell the crew to wait it out on deck. Prove themselves worthy of this damn ship. Captain, I don't think you understand. Those are 20 to even 30 foot waves. I understand that my orders are the law on the ship, and we will wait it out. The dense fog brings a bad stench as it silently creeps on board. Its lengthy arms wrapping itself around my ship, climbing on board. I'm staring straight ahead, but all I can see is white. I can't see anything. Trying to make out the bodies around me, I stand unmoved. We're losing men over here! Lower the boats! Dropping them, the sailors overboard are overcome, boats crashing over them like chances in the slums. Wait it out, I scream. Wait out the fog! Everything goes silent. Suddenly, a spot of blue sky tears through the fog. I stand facing the bow, not wanting to look back not wanting to witness the tragedy. How many men have I lost? The bare sky peeking through is all I can bear to witness. 
Captain! Are you alright? A survivor, I swear. I turn around only to see the crew facing me. The whole crew. No one is missing. Rodrigo looks me dead in the eyes. Not a drip of water is visible on any of the sailors. In formation, they salute me. I lost no one. What was that I heard? Those splashes. The screams. I compose myself, keeping the illusion to myself. Men, take the boards down. They undress the ship, uncovering it, but my mind is still lost. Trying to make sense of what just happened, I found no solution. A daydream, I thought. Lack of sleep? Something in the air? Anything. Anything. From afar comes another ship, just like ours. A yellow flag on the horizon. As it approaches, everyone on board freezes. In awe. This ship we look at, the one 50 feet away, is our mirror image. The crew looks on mystified. On board the other ship is a man, a bearded man just like me, sweeping the deck. The yellow flag comes closer, now 30 feet away. My eyes fixate, following the bearded man. He looks exactly like me, but he's got blood on his coat. He looks up toward us, as if waiting. Waiting for something. Captain? I stand speechless. Is, is that a mirror? What is that? A mirror this immense could not exist. I have no brothers. We have no sister vessel. I can see my bearded self yell, tearing at his chest, but nothing is heard. I can't hear a word. No sounds. Nothing. Everyone grab a rock! Captain, you can't possibly think of cracking that. If that is not a mirror, it will not break. Every sailor stood with raised arms, prepared to defend, destroy. The rocks flew. Cracks run through my other self. The mirror shatters into a thousand little pieces. My other self is gone. No reason behind the apparition. That night, the crew grew restless. What the hell did we just do? Well, what were we supposed to do? Sign from, I think it was a sign from God. It, it, this has to be something we're not it's supposed to- It's not a sign. That's the end of it. No more talk about the damn ship. His fist became red with fury. The crew stood up, amazed, not by his anger or what he had said, but in surprise by what swarmed in his fist. A swimming centipede flowed on the side, its body moving like water. Quick, rolling up his sleeves, he watched his arms run full of these snakes. Now, they didn't run like normal snakes, they ran where the blood flowed. They ran underneath his skin. Inside they ate. 
The pain surged through him as the centipedes flocked toward his chest, their spiny bodies puncturing his skin, bruising and bleeding, his heart eaten in a matter of minutes. Anger and hatred made his eyes bulge, not the snakes, I kept telling myself. Snakes don't live under the skin. Those screams aren't contagious. I sat in my cabin away from the crew, waiting and listening to the snakes jump from body to body, from host to host. Feeling the crew convulse through the floorboards, I tried falling asleep, but all I could think about was that fog, that mirror, sailors who were under attack from within. In the morning, the sea waged calmly. Not a single breath to be heard. I swung open my door. The deck was filthy, ripe with flesh, carcasses of sailors eaten alive. The ever-moving sea became their grave. I gave a prayer as I swept each one overboard, pushing bodies into the sea. No sign of the snakes. But in the eyes of a dead comrade, I saw a glimmer. Something shined. Something flickered in his dead eye. Alive. It had returned. Without the crack and bruises we had given it, the shattered mirror was once again staring down at the ship. It stared down at me, taller than I could see, heights unheard of. Suddenly, I could see my ship standing there in front of me, my full crew on board, a reflection of a time now gone. I could see myself looking back at me, I had blood on my uniform. Giving the orders, I read my lips from afar. Rocks! One sailor looked at me as he swung his rock, but his eyes were caught by something on my side. Slithering up my leg, leaving a ruby-toned stain on me, here it was. That terrible thing I had evaded all night. I swiped at its menacing, blood-soaked head. Missing overtime, I swung. I saw it. Digging its scaly body into me, through my stomach, a sudden impulse, a gag, a kick. I became its next host. Couldn't feel it in my throat. The rocks from the ship were being thrown. My ears popped. The cracks rumbled. Their faces watching the broken glass sink into the sea as the snake dug deeper into me. Beating at my chest, pushing away from my heart, Sticking my switchblade deep into the wound, spilling blood onto the handle. Drenched. Trying to take it out. Get it out of my body! The rips of a thousand knives swimming through my heart. The mirror was still intact from my view. Untouched by their efforts, their rocks, their stones. Two other snakes drilled into my sides. My lungs gave out. 
watching my other self disappear into the cabin as if time had been reversed. Where did I go? Why couldn't I help myself, and why did I seek to destroy all that was unknown? In my last moments, I ran towards myself, jumping off the starboard side, pushing off that cursed ship. I smashed through the mirror, every piece of it jutting through my body. I no longer felt my body. It wasn't mine. I wrapped my lengthy arms around that ship. I climbed aboard that night. White as the fog, I didn't want to die. I couldn't let my ship go. I needed to be a part of it, even if I had to take a part of them. I am the captain of this ship, riding through the waves just like snakes in the water. This piece was written and edited by Rene Dongo and features the voices of Scott Mitzrocki and Richie Cavallo and includes sounds for freesound.org. Fear is an overpowering feeling. At times, it can drive you kind of crazy. So I wrote that story in high school, um, and it resonated when I read it because it was so graphic and cuckoo. But I was thinking about it for this show because it makes sense in a way. The captain was dealing with a lot of his own insecurities um, and couldn't figure out what was happening because he was so overwhelmed by um, what he thought was uh, happening and what was really happening. It makes more sense to me because it talks about insecurities that are happening inside of us. Um, And they are things that we see in horror films like, you know, like the slasher dude or the zombies. They're all kind of like symbols for other things that are happening. Maybe it is violence that is happening in a community, but sometimes it is deep seated insecurities um and i i I feel like i guess i (laughs) i guess i can relate to that in a little bit um so we've arrived at part three part three is a mystery today and i'm gonna reveal it in this clip you'll be listening to the 11th grade sound and recording class at the margarita Muniz academy in jamaica plain they start their class with a daily prompt and we're gonna hear it um straight from their classroom hello my name is Nicole, and I am an 11th grader from... Does that sound right? I am a 11th... Hi. I viene este, bro. My biggest fear is my parents dying before I do. I can use this fear to better myself in the future by taking advantage of every moment I have with the people that I care about. So like I knew I was scared when I first went on the rooftop, the roof, the rooftop, to see the fireworks. And when I looked down, I just couldn't. My heart started beating fast, and I just started getting super scared. My hands were getting sweaty, and I was like, "No, I can't do this." Uh, I uh, my biggest fear is uh, simply just you know drowning, 
and uh spiders i don't know about like every spider but i know like the venomous spiders you know i don't want you know i don't want to die dog and uh you know when you get poisoned by them you don't know how much time to live because you know you can't search up every single spider out there so my name is frank i'm in the 11th grade i'm 19 and my fear is love i'm uh i fell in love with this girl named back in sixth grade she cheated on my with my best friend ever since then I don't trust people, and I never loved again. <laughs> my biggest fear is death because one day I was at the carnival in Revere, and there was a shooting, and my life was at risk. I can use this fear to better myself in the future by being aware of my surroundings. Hi, my name is Stephanie. I'm a junior at the Margarita Muniz, and my greatest fear is heights. Just the feeling of you falling off and all that time that you have going down and thinking that you're probably going to hurt yourself really bad or die is just like super scary. And the adrenaline rush is crazy. So that's my greatest fear. Thank you so much to the students who contributed their time and stories to this piece. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, whoa, 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 don't, no, no, don't leave, don't leave, that's not all. There's something else. The mystery deepens, and this next clip spotlights a special guest who joins us over the phone. Daniel Callahan is a filmmaker, an artist, a painter, a photographer. His latest film, Come On In, follows an artist who confronts his anxiety and fears only to get lost in between real life and his imagination. I wanted to ask him about the role of fear in his film and what it took to make it happen. Here is Daniel. I think fear is, is a driving theme. The character has to, in the process um, of this crisis that he's going through, has to come face to face with his fears. And, you know, some of those fears have been really what have been keeping that artist from moving forward in, uh, in his own career. Um, in terms of the production of the film, I mean, so this is my first feature film. The, the largest film project uh, I had worked on on my own, like self-produced. The, the, the process required of me to do the same thing that the character was doing. So I had to, like, face all of my fears <laughs> in, creating this, in creating this film. You know, fear of failure, fear of, of doing things that, that you haven't mastered or even learned, and you're learning on the way. I... I almost drowned as a, as a child, um, and drowning is really like a central aspect of this film and, and this character's experience. Um, I sort of equate drowning with, with crisis, um, and that, that's sort of the initial reaction we all have when we're, we're, we encounter our fears, and sort of like the process of getting over our fears is, is um, uh, learning to be in that space of, of panic or crisis and to not have it overwhelm you. Um, and for you to be able to sort of gain the strength to move through that experience um, and, and maintain, uh, you know, the, the wisdom and understanding um, that's needed to get through that space in the midst of crisis. And so, you know, the, the process of making a film is, is extremely nerve-wracking, especially when you're producing. So I produced this. I co-produced it. Um, I wrote it, and I'm also acting in it. It was it was very scary. <laughs> and so I'm I'm curious is there is there one instance that you remember from potentially making the film 
that you had to you had to kind of confront that fear for yourself? The very first scene we shot for this film, we shot it in a pool, uh, and my character had to drown. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so, <laughs> so on top of on top of the fact that I, I almost drowned as a child, uh, um, I I, ne- I had never really learned how to swim. Uh, really, honestly, because of, because of that trauma, um, and so that was the first scene we shot. Um, and so, like you know, it was it was, it was great. It was like you know, uh, that doesn't sound great to me. That sounds like you're, you're like forcing yourself to to deal with something that potentially you didn't want to deal with, or you know, you never want to deal with with fears, or at least a part of you doesn't. I think like the sort of lizard brain part of you really never wants to deal with your fears. But another part of me really did. Like, you know, another part of me saw this as an opportunity to be like, you know, you can do this. Um, and, you know, obviously we did it safely. It wasn't like I just, like, jumped in the pool. I had, you know, we had a we had a stunt coordinator we um, and we had, like, a lifeguard. But at the end of the day, I had to jump in a pool, basically simulate drowning uh, <laughs> to the best of my abilities. And, and we had to capture it. And so... Yeah, it, it, part of me didn't want to do it, and we had to shoot this multiple times, you know. Like so, there's, you know, we did it at least at least twelve times. So it was it was mm-hmm. intense. But what was interesting was I took a course, like a like a very informal course with a with a family friend to just try to get me a little bit more comfortable being in the water, um, and that was like a huge help. So you know, there there's there's a responsible way of facing one's fear. But at the end of the day, you have to face it, and it has to be you. Right. Yeah. And I'm I'm thinking now, like, just to to bring it to your film, uh, come on in. And so, how does how does your character? How did you write your character? How do they face their fears in the film? I don't even want, don't give anything away, obviously. But is there something <laughs> that you can kind of tell us a little bit about it? I think there are a lot of emotions that sort of constellate to create fear, or or to create a a, a situation where someone is afraid. Um, and they're not all obvious. Um, so, you know, for the character, there's, there's a lot of guilt. Um, there's a lot of sort of the feeling of, of not knowing, um, of being lost. You know, w- with him, it's, it's really about being forced to address, to address trauma. Um, and that's, that's really the, the, the fear. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not so much monsters. Um, it's about dealing with one's past and dealing with, with, Parts parts of one's past that, that that you have decided not to or unconsciously repressed or anything like that. Um, that was that's sort of like what the character is going through is, is having to um, unearth these things and, and finally deal with them. Uh, you have given yourself the task of building fear, crafting fear for an audience. How did you do it in your film, and why was that? Why why could it, why is it only that you could have done that? It's really tough to go into something trying to make someone else have a feeling. It was this film was very personal, so it goes to like, well, what makes you afraid? And I would, I'd ask myself, you know, it's like, what what are the situations in life that you're um, either makes you afraid or that you're afraid to face? The big thing for me and for most artists is, is is putting putting yourself out there and being vulnerable. You know, a lot of it was like putting my my own personal fears uh, on on the screen. You know, and Fighting the bullet and, and allowing people to see that. It's funny. It's also kind of the other side of the coin of fear is is courage, and I think like simply by doing that, you you grow and you become more courageous. Like I, you know, I always say like courage is, is not a lack of fear. Courage is simply moving through fear. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, but I think the sound probably is, is the one of the most important aspects. Um, you know, I think anyone who makes horror or thrillers or anything knows that the sound is, is really crucial. But can you tell me a little bit about the the place where you where you were when you wrote this and where you're at now? I think you know. I think writing is is, is a it's a great tool for mining your your own mind. Um, one because it's it's very intimate um, and, and can be very private. You know, it's just you, the page, and the words. And, but two, it's not so intimate that it's it's. But in terms of writing, it, it was it was almost exciting. It was like a way to it was, it was, you, you get a chance to explore. the The filming process was extremely draining, even though it was wonderful because we, you know I had so many people supporting me, um, and you know found that as me me as the director and the actor, like I had to I had to go through the experience of the, of the character constantly, and so mm-hmm. that was that was very draining of you know of that feeling of that that constant feeling of either being lost or of of feeling like anything can happen and being out of control and and being vulnerable you know all that stuff you had to continually be there certainly as an actor and and that you know you're really experiencing what's happening um in the moment after the screening like i i had to take like two weeks to just like decompress you know yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but you know it's it's interesting it's interesting to be there um, and and to understand it and to sort of learn from it because there's like gems in there too you know. Yeah, could you tell me? I'm just gonna pull that out. What what's a gem for you? So okay, so the the film part of the inspiration of the film was 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 my own life and and that I I went through a a, a very acute period in my life where like you know I was under extreme anxiety. Um, and it was like, it was paralyzing, you know? Um, and so part of what got me through that was actually my, my, my artwork. I'm a visual artist and, uh, this specific art technique of masking, which is what I do where I, I use the human face as a canvas and I paint on the face. Um, and I create these, these for better, for lack of a better word, like these designs on the face that, that incorporates the face in it. And I call them masks, um, but I spell them differently. I don't spell them M-A-S-K. I spell them M-A-S-S-Q. Um, and I changed that spelling really to flip the notion of what we think of as a, a mask. Um, in, our, in our culture, particularly, and it's, it's like actually kind of apropos that we're doing this around Halloween, um, mm-hmm. most people think of a mask as something that you use either to, to hide your identity or, or protect your identity um, or like to assume the identity of someone else, right? So like, you know, we wear... The, the the Jason mask, or, or we wear the Freddy Krueger mask, and we become Freddy Krueger, um, and that's that's very powerful and, 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 and a powerful aspect of masks. But I think uh, what we don't really rec- recognize is the power of masks to to reveal and like to uncover um, aspects of ourselves. And so, masking the, the art technique that I do is tries to flip the notion of what a mask does and tries to use paint. Um, and the, a person's face to 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 reveal things about them, to bring you know what's inside out. Um, and so, doing that for me was like my my anti anxiety medication. Um, I would I would mask you know I, I did this one project where I masked every day for an entire month, um, and 
that literally like helped with my anxiety. So like, I think finding if there is somebody who's listening or, or for anybody who's curious, like finding something, uh, artistic where you can express your feelings, um, you know, uh, is, is a great way to, to decompress and to, um, deal with anxiety. Some finding something you can get lost in, you know, like I would, I would just get lost in this process. It takes a very long time to do these masks. And so it, it literally was like a way to, to remove the anxiety and also for me to like sort of convert that, that anxious emotion into a positive, um, you know, a positive work of art. Yeah. Um, that, um, whole kind of practice and that whole moment in life for me was like, was, was incredibly important. And I learned so much. And so in terms of like the gems that you're talking, that, that you wanted to sort of me to, to unpack, um, one of those gems, around just fear in general and, and facing on fear is, is like compassion. I, I, I've gained so much compassion through facing my fears because when you, when you face your fears and you go through that, when you see someone else going through the same thing, because of that, in, that, that intimate experience you have with that, you, you can't help but feel compassionate toward that person, you know? Um, and, and, like, and you can actually approach that person in, through a place of understanding which is precisely what somebody needs when they're going through something that's, that's very scary. Um, and so that I, I, like was probably one of the biggest blessings. Um, I think the other thing that comes out of it is like, once you, once you face your fears, you realize that you can transcend them and it just opens up like a whole new area of life and of experience because Fears are almost like, and this is this this is uh, kind of the metaphor I use in my film. Fears are almost like doors, you know, like, and fear closes doors. It keeps doors closed, and and you can't get past that. Um, but when you face the fear, you're able to get through it, and it, it literally opens up new new rooms, new new spaces in your life that that you didn't even know were there often. Um, and so, like, you know, those are those are the two things I think that were huge in terms of the gems that I got from it. You're hitting a lot of nails on the head, which is great. Um, and you know, you you wrote and directed a film called "Come On In," and um, I'm curious what you want people to get when they walk away from it. Um, a part of this is like this is uh, an uh, African American male who's dealing with this, and in the African American community, there's a lot of hesitance around talking about mental health and mental illness. Um, there's still a lot of stigma around it. Um, and a lot of misinterpretations and misunderstandings around it. And so um, I would hope that this film would allow people to, to have discussions around that and to feel open and uh, more understanding towards, towards that. And also just to, to, to enjoy the film. You know, like I, I made this film, it's, it's a psychological thriller slash drama, so there is a lot of, like, you know, um, <laughs> angst and, and things like that in it. But, but I hope that I would... I have done it in a way that it can be aesthetically pleasing and entertaining for people, um, because those are the movies I love to I love to see. I love to see movies that yeah. thrill me, that that inspire me, that make me think differently. Um, you know, some of the best films I've I've watched, I leave the theater and the world looks a little different. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I hope that that this film would do that for people. Um, well, thank you so much, Daniel. I look forward to seeing the film. Um... Daniel Callahan is an artist. Uh, he works in video photography. He does masks. He does digital collage. A bunch of things. But he's working on a film called Come On In. And you can find out more information about the film online at comeonin.com.
It, yeah, it's comeoninfilm.com. Come, come on, on in film. Com will take you to a whole new Jesus place Christ. No, okay, go. Want to go to oh, my work. God, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. And you can find out more about the film at comeoninfilm.com. Cool. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Fear can mess you up, and it can make a day feel like an eternity. It can paralyze you and even paralyze some of the strongest individuals you know. Personally, I've let fear guide me many times, and I'm not proud of that at all. I felt like I've been alone and couldn't figure out what to do. And hopefully, these pieces, listening to these pieces, gets you to think about the fears in your own life. It's overwhelming at times, but I hope that you can find that guiding light within yourself so that the next time you feel some kind of voice saying, you can't do that, or don't even try, you can just shush it. Shh, hey, shh. <laughs> And it'll be okay. You've been listening to Life. That's it. My name is Renee Dongo, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life. That's it. Please leave a review on iTunes. And if you have any feedback, contact Renee at Dongo Song via social media. You can find this show and past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Life Does It. That's L-I-F-E, Life, D-A-S-I-T, Does It. Does It.